welcome to episode two of the Gem State podcast. My name is Brian Allman. Russia has been in the news lately, and unfortunately, a lot of discussion I've seen on the topic is borderline hysterical. Some say that it's the start of World War III. Some say it's the road to the apocalypse, seeing in Russia the fulfillment of certain interpretations of biblical prophecies. Many are comparing it to the lead-up to World War II, saying that if we do not stop Putin today, he will unleash a genocidal war to take over the whole world. Let's all take a deep breath. There is more to history than World War II. Russia is not Nazi Germany. The Donbass is not Danzig. Vladimir Putin is not Adolf Hitler. He's probably not the Antichrist, either. I'm going to try and bring some calm, measured, and rational historical context into the discussion. I know that we are used to Russia being our implacable foe. If you grew up in the Cold War, then you understood from birth that Russia was a godless communist empire hell-bent on world domination. It might be hard to believe, though, the Cold War ended more than 30 years ago, and a lot has changed in the world in that time. For example, Russia has been slowly rediscovering her Christian heritage that was suppressed by the communists, while America is losing ours. We have to start asking who is the real godless evil empire today? Is it Russia, which in 2014 banned homosexual propaganda to children? Or America, which explicitly indoctrinates children with sexual degeneracy? Is it Russia, who imprisoned the Pussy Riot activists for desecrating a church? Or America, which doesn't even have a slap on the wrist for those who burned St. John's Church in Washington, D.C.? Keep that context in mind as we take a look at the current situation. Yesterday, as I record this, Russian President Vladimir Putin recognized the Ukrainian provinces of Donetsk and Luhansk as independent republics, and immediately signed defense agreements with them. Russian troops have been informally assisting the Donbass rebels for eight years now, but today it is official. In an hour-long speech yesterday explaining his decision, Putin recounted the history of Ukraine, the history of Russia, and everything that has occurred since the end of the Cold War. Whether you agree or disagree with his conclusions, it was very different from what we have come to expect from American leaders. When was the last time a U.S. president went on national TV and explained the historical context for his actions to such a depth? Our leaders do not understand nor care about historical context. They will invoke a few familiar allusions, such as World War II and the Holocaust, and then speak in nothing but empty platitudes. Whether you agree with the Russian position that the Donbass republics should be independent, or the Ukrainian position that they still belong to them, it should be obvious that the territories are in dispute. A majority of citizens in Donetsk and Luhansk are ethnically Russian, and they do not want to be ruled by Europhile leaders in Kiev. They've been fighting for their independence for a long time. Why does the United States not recognize their right to self-determination? After all, we recognized the independence of Kosovo and South Sudan and the autonomy of Taiwan. Is it simply that we hate Russia and cannot allow them to have a geopolitical victory? Russia has been a world power for many centuries. Ever since Peter the Great westernized the country in the early 1700s, 
Russia has had a seat at the table of great powers. It was Russia that proved the undoing of Napoleon Bonaparte after his ill-fated invasion in 1812. Russian art, literature, and music were dominant throughout the 1800s. However, Russia was humiliated in the Crimean War in the 1850s, and then again in the Russo-Japanese War in 1905. By the time they entered World War I in 1914, they were severely weakened. A loss to Germany, followed by the Bolshevik Revolution, crushed what was left of old Russia, but she was reborn as the Soviet Union. The Soviets helped start World War II with the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact, but then they bore the brunt of casualties after Hitler's Operation Barbarossa. They emerged from that war as a superpower, on par with the United States. To us, they were the evil empire, as President Reagan said, but they also experienced a period of national greatness. The first satellite, first animal, first man, and the first woman in space were all Russian. Russian athletes were feared at the Olympics. Russian missiles held Eastern Europe under the yoke of communism. The fall of the Soviet Union was a victory for all people, as communism really was an evil, godless, hopeless ideology. But it turned Russia into a civilizational and economic backwater for decades. Under Boris Yeltsin, foreign bankers and NGOs looted the country. Vladimir Putin put a stop to that when he came to power. Hate him all you want, but you have to admit that he has made Russia a world power again. Look at how much hysteria is generated throughout the world at every word he speaks. You could say that he made Russia great again. That is in stark contrast to American leaders, besides President Trump, of course, who see their role as managing America's decline. Opinion polls show that the Russian people support their leader. You could say that the polls are rigged, but aren't ours too? After the Cold War, diplomat George Kennan and others warned that we should not continue to push NATO to the east. The entire point of NATO was to counter the Soviet Union, so it really should have been disbanded in the early 90s, rather than expanded. Yet that's exactly what we have done. We have kept admitting new countries into NATO until we were right at Russia's doorstep. Ukraine was only the latest to be fast-tracked for membership. How would you feel if a country like China, for example, on the other side of the world, created an anti-American alliance and started signing treaties with Brazil, with Cuba, with Mexico. We would not stand for it, but we expect Russia to sit back and let that happen to them? Ukraine has been the battlefield between East and West for a long time. Their government is incredibly corrupt, and who knows what a truly free election would look like there. In 2004, the pro-Russian Viktor Yanukovych seemingly won the presidency, but his opponent claimed fraud, and the U.S. State Department joined forces with George Soros to instigate mass protests. A new election was held under those circumstances, and the pro-European Viktor Yushchenko was installed instead. In addition to applying to join NATO, the Yushchenko government sought to terminate Russia's hold on the Crimean Peninsula. Look at a map of Russia— they do not have many places where they touch warm water. Their northern ports of Archangel and Murmansk are frozen at least half the year, so they need the port of Sevastopol on the Black Sea. However, back in 1954, Premier Khrushchev had transferred the Crimea from Russia to Ukraine. Why? Maybe he was trying to make up for Stalin's crimes against Ukrainian people. Few in the West have heard of the Holodomor, 
the forced starvation of millions of Ukrainians by Joseph Stalin. Perhaps Khrushchev believed that this might heal those wounds. What did it matter which SSR technically controlled the peninsula? Well, it mattered after the fall of the Soviet Union. When the countries of the USSR split into separate nations, Russia negotiated a lease for the port. However, by threatening the lease, the Yushchenko government pushed Putin and Russia into a corner. What do you think the United States would do if a foreign power tried to seize one of our naval bases? Well, we don't actually have to imagine it. After the Spanish-American War in 1903, we agreed to pay the government of newly independent Cuba for use of Guantanamo Bay. When Fidel Castro and his communists took over, they demanded we return the base to the Cuban people. We refused. Are we really so different? The election of the pro-Russian Viktor Yanukovych in 2010 seemed like a stabilizing event. He agreed to extend the Crimean lease once more, and he began pursuing a trade deal with Russia, rebuffing the European Union. But this was too much for the globalists who run Europe and our own government. The State Department and CIA once again collaborated with international NGOs to sponsor protests and street fighting in Kiev. The Maidan protests, as they were called, resulted in a coup that ousted Yanukovych and installed the pro-Western Petro Poroshenko in his place. He immediately rejected relations with Russia and signed a deal with Europe instead. President Putin did not waste time securing his own position. Russian forces outright seized the Crimean Peninsula, guaranteeing Russian control of the port of Sevastopol. A referendum in Crimea was held, and it resulted in overwhelming support for Russian annexation. Western countries called it rigged and ignored it. Putin also supplied arms to the ethnic Russians of the Donbass region, who now sought their independence from the government in Kiev. The following year, 2015, the Kiev government agreed to a ceasefire with the Donbass separatists called the Minsk Accords. However, neither side has respected it, and low-level fighting has continued ever since. Russia recognizing the independence of Donetsk and Luhansk this week is just the latest escalation in this ongoing fight. These actions, by the way, were overwhelmingly supported by the Russian people. Just this morning, as I record this, the Duma voted 400 to 0 to endorse Putin's actions. It is all too easy to assume the United States has a monopoly on democracy. We tend to think that anything that happens in the world that we don't like must have some nefarious villain behind it, or must somehow be rigged. We find it hard to accept that the people of one country or another might have different values and goals than we do. Have you ever wondered how we look to their eyes? Is the United States still the shining city on a hill, the leader of the free world? After the Maidan protests in 2014, then-Vice President Joe Biden traveled to Kiev to congratulate the Ukrainians on their successful coup. The same month as his visit, the Ukrainian energy firm Burisma gave Hunter Biden a seat on their board, paying him over $80,000 a month. When a Ukrainian prosecutor attempted to uncover this corruption, Biden demanded that the Ukrainian president fire him, and he got his wish. He even bragged about this on video. When President Trump came into office, he asked President Poroshenko to look into this obvious corruption by the Biden family. The Democrats impeached him over that phone call. The star witness of the impeachment trial was Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, a Ukrainian-born army officer who seemed to think that the purpose of the State Department was to work for the benefit of his Ukrainian friends. Do you see how this all fits together? 
The Obama administration helped oust a democratically elected leader so that the new government could continue operating as a corrupt slush fund for him and his friends. When Trump tried to investigate, they impeached him. Now that Biden is in office, we are supposed to believe that Ukraine is some poor, innocent, democratic country that the evil Putin is invading for no reason. If you believe that, then you need to wake up and stop listening to corporate media. Don't let yourself be used as a pawn in this corrupt game of global chess. Americans have bigger things to worry about than the status of disputed territories halfway across the world. Our own government is holding political prisoners as we speak, and our neighbors to the north are freezing bank accounts of anyone who donated to an anti-government protest. America is the evil empire now, and we need to focus on fixing that rather than being distracted by what is going on in Europe. Russia sending troops into the Donbass is neither the end of the world, nor should it be a reason for us to lose our heads. We should keep our focus where it matters most, here, our cities, our schools, and our state. America fought the Cold War to protect freedom and liberty throughout the world. Now we must fight to protect it here at home. America was great once, the shining city on a hill. Restoring that greatness starts here at home, in our communities, not by rattling our sabers halfway across the world. Let's get to work. (music) 